G'day everyone, this is Rita Join. Welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast. I received a question um, and it was from a gentleman who said that is success achievable past the age of 80 or not even if it is achievable, what is the likelihood of achieving success post being 50 years old? And the culture kind of now at the moment seems there are startups, there are Silicon Valley, there are tech uh, advances. There are so many things to suggest that being... Uh, you know, excelling comes from youth or that, that I mean, that is what it currently is pretty much the, the feel now. But 20, 30 years ago, if you were in your mid-30s or 40s, that's when you were going to, quote-unquote, make it or have made it because in your 20s and, you know, prior to that, you're just kind of getting away around. But now when people don't are going, aren't going as uni as people aren't attending university in the numbers that were, um, that creates a gap in space in the market and a lot of content and a lot of uh, motivation, so to speak, is tended towards people who are in their 20s and 30s. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted, I've read a book probably four years ago called Never Too Late to Be Great. And I recommend it, even if you're 20 or even if you're 100, any between the ages of the <laughs> of 20 to 100, never too late to be great. The power of thinking long. It's by Tom Butler Bowden. Tom Butler Bowden. And the beauty of this book is he has researched. It's a, it's a book about people who have made it past the age of 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. He is talking about he's built a body of work that really describes the journeys and the people that you and I know, but would never have imagined that they made it, quote unquote, whatever that means, at a later age or at an age where people think that it's too old. And yet he points out in this book with very good research about, you know, if you think 50 is too old, if you think 60 is too old, that's really sad for you because you will find examples in this book that I'm going to just share a couple of them with you about the lifespan of a person is unknown. And so the effort of what it takes to get somewhere and the effort that you and I have to employ to do something, to make something happen, we have no idea whether we're going to have 60 years, 100 years, 110 years, 20 years. It doesn't matter. The point is that whatever belief you are from, whatever background you're from, whatever faith you're from, the point is you have to have hope. Hope that when you go to work today that you're going to do something good. You're going to excel. You're going to have an opportunity. You're going to meet someone. You're going to add to your job. You go Whatever it is, we're going to add to your environment. We live on the basis of hope. Our, our default setting in terms of trials and tribulations is hope. And age, a lot of the time in this book, it's discussed that people have age-itis, which means their age is preventing them. I'm too old or I can't do that or that's not my thing to do. And this book will really, if ever you, if you're thinking that, or if you're at any age, I know 28 year olds who think they're too old. I know 25 year olds who think they're too old. I know 45 year olds who think they're too old. I know 55 year olds who think, I know like I have met people along the way that whatever age, it's all perception. And it's all what your thinking is behind that. And so let me share some examples with you of how to get over. And this is addressing the gentleman's question of the successes of people past the age of 50. Uh, and I want to bring to this particular thing that Samuel Ullman uh, wrote a poem, and this is, speaks perfectly to what I'm saying here. Youth is not a time of life. It is a state of mind. Nobody grows old merely by living a number. 
We grow old by deserting our ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Just love that. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Nobody grows old merely by living a number of years. We grow old by deserting our ideals. And so let's start with the examples of how that speaks to anyone post the age of 50. So my first example, and it's from this book, is, I hope I pronounce this correctly, a Japanese gentleman by the name of Momofuko, Momofuko Ando. And basically, the story, it was after the Second World War. So imagine, it's the Second World War has just finished. And in Osaka, the streets of Osaka in Japan, there are food shortages and it's cold and there are long lines of people wanting to buy noodles on the black market. And so he's, he's witnessing this. And in his spare time, he goes into his hut in his back garden and he begins experimenting. He begins experimenting with noodle production. He experiments now. He's watched his wife make tempura, which is deep fried fish or vegetables. And he realizes that when fresh noodles are immersed in hot oil, their water content was leached out and they become a noodle brick, like just hard. Yet, if you simply immerse them in boiling water again for two or three minutes, they come back to life with flavoring added as a marvelous hot, hot snack. Now, Ando was turning 50. And after countless kitchen experiments, Ando perfected his recipe for the instant noodle. And in 1958, his humble innovation made him a household name in Japan and the patron saint of many non-cooks the world over. A few years later, he also would go on to invent the cup noodle and continued going into the office and innovating until he was 96 years old. He started, he created the instant noodle, the what you and I benefit from, you know, when we go to have our little instant noodles or instant pasta, this is the man. And remember, we have to, we have to put our, play, our, our minds in the space of where the world was at. This was like food shortages. This was after a world war. This was out of like, you know, poverty and, and just the state of Japan. I mean, it was eerie. It was, it was just like in scarcity mode. And yet this man through experimentation looks at just in his hut in his backyard, looks at how can I create a noodle that is long lasting that, you know, it can be like as a brick, but then you put it, submerge it in hot water and it sometime, it somehow comes back to life. And so he was 50 when he did that. He was 50, approaching 50. And he lived on till 96 or he was in production. He's in, like, into productive, I'm not in production. He was productive until he was 96 years old. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. If you perceive a problem or a need, chances are it is a problem for many other people, even if they are not articulating or expressing it. Because who would have thought, who would have thought you could have instant noodles? Like, it's not around. How could you possibly think anyone would want it? But it was his imagination to think, well, what if there was a way? And he was just experimenting, which brings me to the huge point. And experimentation in your in your idea is so important because yesterday the podcast was about 
uh, how to make how to have make sure that your idea stands out or how to ensure that the idea works there's no guarantee but what's the process and one of the biggest ways once you've come across creating the solution the solution is pretty much based on experimenting of looking at different angles and different ways this is going to stand out and his way of looking at his wife and how he was she was making tempura and then look you know replicating that into the instant noodles allowed him to really give rise to the instant noodle i mean to just a hot snack and specially needed in the market back then now it wasn't launched till 1958 but the innovation in the it was started at that point and i mean he launched it at 50 i mean that's what's incredible so let me give you the next example so a man that was a steam engine stoker so a steam engine stoker that's what his job was then he moved into insurance uh, selling insurance then he moved into filling station operator of a filling station operator so that was his job his background and then at the age of 62 at the age of 62, Colonel Sanders launched KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, if he had thought at 62, you know, I'm old now, I should be winding down, you know, I've got this chicken recipe. I mean, who's going to buy it from me? I'm surely there are many good chicken recipes and households and who's going to look at mine? And, you know, I'm old. I should just like calm down and stop and slow it. But instead, he's an example of what can happen if you just allowed yourself to be open to an opportunity what if the question of what if and if that question can just allow you to just see what else is available i mean because he had two choices he could just keep this recipe to himself and never have launched it or he could have or he could have just like gone for gold like which he did now the point is the point absolutely is is i'm talking about kfc here and i'm not endorsing fast food <laughs> i'm endorsing i mean obviously what fast food was back when it was launched is very different to what it is now but what i'm endorsing is the journey is the mindset it's the tenacity it's the belief that there is no age here like the age is not a, an issue to stop me and that's what i'm bringing to the surface here that if we can just focus on that thing on that the journey that allows us allows a human being to dwindle down to kind of fizzle out and those things are like your age and friend influences and peer influences and internet influences and spouses and children and there are the influences that if we don't watch what seeps into our brain we're going to slowly miss out on opportunities and it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 120 what matters is are you open to the opportunity and so as a Colonel Sanders example, that's really what it took. Even though he had no business experience, he was a steam engine stoker, an insurance salesman. He was a station operator. Like there was no business experience. There was no cooking experience. He was no chef. He just had an idea and he just took a risk at 62. Nice, isn't it? Now, this is what's in the book. At age 50, Colonel Sanders says in his, he recalls his mindset at age 50. And this is Colonel Sanders speaking. I was a battle-scarred veteran of the business wars, but I was still eager to go into action. I had diabetes and incipient arthritis. I had lost my gallbladder and most of my thyroid gland in earlier campaigns. But I was convinced the best was ahead of me. 
but I was convinced the best was ahead. Even though he had diabetes, even though he was 60 something, even though he had arthritis, even though he had his gallbladder removed, even though his, uh, most of his thyroid gland was not existent, he said the best years were ahead of him. Now that takes a lot of guts at age 50 to know, to just believe, not just say that because it's the right thing to say to stay positive. There's the surface level positive positivity and then there's the real game-changing belief in your soul, in the fibre of your cells outlook in life. It, go, it goes beyond positivity. It, it's just, that's what I take away from that, from Colonel Sanders saying that at age 50 that it, it's really speaking to the essence of the soul, like the fiber of the cells, like every cell, fiber in his body exuded that, not because it's the right thing to do and he should be positive, but because it's really what he believed. And that's really a journey of self. It's really a journey of watching ourselves, of what we're thinking and what we're not wanting, allowing to get between our ears, to come inside our ears. We're protecting the, this thing, this computer called our brain and not allowing infiltration of anything that can take us off the big picture. Because at age 50, I mean, I'd like to ask him, did you think you'd come up with a recipe or did you think you'd have some kind of idea? Did you think you'd have some kind of opportunity come up? Because it wasn't launched till 62, but he just had a belief, a fiber in his being that the best is yet to come. And it's when we can get from positivity, which is surface level, to really into the fiber of ourselves, I believe that's when the shift happens. And how that happens for, to have to, to get that belief in the fiber of our souls and fiber of our cells is really dependent upon our own journey and how, what we're willing to allow us to affect us and what we're willing to, how we, open we are to getting uncomfortable. Because that's really what cements our belief, just getting uncomfortable and then breaking through it, getting uncomfortable and breaking through it, getting uncomfortable, breaking through it. And that builds the muscle of confidence. Now at age 52, there was a man who was selling paper, club, paper cups and then moved on to sell milkshake makers. And then, as I said, at age 52, he launched what we now know as McDonald's. Ray Kroc, now once again, I'm not endorsing fast food. I'm endorsing the journey, the risk, the open to opportunity, the getting uncomfortable journey that it takes for someone to go on to that thing. Now, what's really, really important is that when Ray Crocs had a very good career selling paper cups, it was very new at that time when he was selling it to the market. And when he decided he wanted to change careers and sell milkshake makers, his wife, um, he was 35 years old, and his wife said to him that, you're absolutely mad that you're going to start all over again as if you're 20. That's what she said to him. That's the classic line in the book that you're going to start all over again as if you're 20 years old. And he was 35 when he wanted to change selling paper cups to milkshake makers. He just wanted to sell something different, change his career. And so what's interesting to note is that he had opposition from his own spouse, which happens so often. But in the book, they really like they they categorize Ethel, which is Ray Kroc's wife, and Ray Kroc's views of life. So Ethel, his wife, her view of the world was stick with your current employer, stick with your employer. Whereas Ray's outlook of the same situation was there's more potential if I go out on my own. And because there's a comparison of this in the book. Then Ethel's outlook on life is let's not blow what we've created. And then Ray's outlook of life is taking reasonable risks is part of life. And then Ethel's outlook on life 
is you're too old to start all over again. And Ray's outlook was, I'm just warming up, the best is ahead of me. And that was the same thing with what Colonel Sanders, the same like mentality. I'm just warming up, the best is ahead of me. And so what we know is that the book continues to make a comparison between that decision, that significant turning point decision that Ray Kroc made, because he was 52 years old. And he's, they, the book says that he did it, he made the decision to franchise McDonald's, to become a partner in McDonald's. A younger person might have been less sure of their judgment or not had sufficient funds to make the commitment. Someone older might not have had the stomach for the challenges ahead. But at 52, believing that the best was ahead of him, Ray Kroc acted. And that's really the punchline. That, uh, I mean, people would might have said, oh, you're too old for all this. But actually, anyone younger may, may have been very too immature in their judgment, may not have believed in the capacity or opportunity, or may have had insufficient funds to make it happen. But in his particular situation, he's saying that if someone was older than 52, like someone was like in their 70s or 80s, maybe they would have not had the stomach to really fortify all the challenges that were going to be ahead of him. But at 52, he was in prime time to really now boost what was, what was ahead of him and to really capture and you know, seize the day, seize the moment, seize this decision, which is a huge thing to tell. Now, one of the things that I take away from Ando, who created Instant Noodles, Colonel Sanders, KFC, Ray Kroc, McDonald's, is there a, a few characteristics that I find that there are similar in, in, in all three of them that I've just noted for myself? The first thing is they understood sales. Now, not in a professional sense in terms of you're a salesperson, you're an executive sales, uh, you're a sales executive or you are um, a sales assistant or your title is sales. Sales in terms of how do you enroll someone in your vision? How do you enroll someone in what you believe in? That's sales. When you and I go to dinner with our friends, someone wants to, watch, someone wants to eat Italian and you might want to eat, um, I don't know, vegan. There needs to be an enrollment. There's going to be a sales conversation happening with one party saying Italian, the other person saying vegan. Let's go eat vegan. Whoever is the stronger enroller of the conversation is going to enroll the person. So really sales is nothing more than enrolling someone into the, your belief, your vision. And that's what Ray had to do, Ray Kroc had to do to sell to the McDonald's brothers initially to enroll them into this vision of franchising and allowing him to administer and facilitate that. Colonel Sanders had to enroll someone into buying his secret herbs and spice recipe. Momofuku Ando had to enroll his wife. He had to enroll the actual people into instant noodles that this is something that you can help alleviate standing, standing in lines for after post-World War II and um, being able to cook quickly and easily and nutritionally for the family without having to have create the noodles you know, from scratch every single time. There's an enrollment conversation that happens and that's in the... In the market space, it's called sales. But you and I practice sales all the time when we're applying for a job, when we are uh, wanting to do a university course and we're comparing universities, which university offers something better than that? They need to sell to us 
what is going to, which degree is going to cater to our interests and our needs. When you are having a conversation with your husband or your wife, you are selling them, you are enrolling them into your vision of let's go here for a holiday or let's go buy a house here or let's sell the house or let's sell the kids. I'm just joking, just joking. But the point is, the point is no one's going to sell any kids. The point is that it's always an enrollment conversation. So I picked up from these three examples that you don't have to have a sales background. You just need to enroll, be able to enroll people in your vision. And that comes with a belief about that vision because you can't enroll someone into something that you don't believe in. Uh, the second thing is they're open to opportunities. So Ray Kroc had an idea of franchising. He had never been franchised before. He was just a sales guy selling paper cups and milkshake makers. And what challenges were available or going to avail themselves once he went into this world of franchising, he had no idea, but he was open to the opportunity. When Colonel Sanders sold his secret herbs and spice recipe, he was open to the opportunity. Um, Ando, with his instant noodles, was open to you need to be like, that's what I'm getting from that, that there is no limitation. There's not a fear. The fear is replaced with what you've heard me say a few times now, the best is yet to come. Not from my mouth, but from the, straight from the horse's mouth, from the autobiographies. That's what they're saying, that their best was yet to come. I'm just warming up. The third thing is that they were all open to experimenting. Now, experimenting in the form of finding a way, just finding a way, like what's the best way? What's that didn't work? What about another way? Because to be in your hut, in your backyard and try and experiment on with noodles to create something that, I don't know, maybe we could freeze it and then, you know, just finding an idea would have cost, you know, would have caused like, you know, are you insane? What is this instant? Like what, it probably didn't have a name that you're going to like freeze something or, you know, make something go completely dry and then bring it back to life with boiling water. It's going to taste the same. It's going to taste nice. All of those things, experimenting. It's the same thing with um, Colonel Sanders. Experimenting in the, in the frame of not just the physical experimentation, but the mental experimenting. That if this doesn't work, if this belief, if me thinking that, this is hard. Well, what other belief can I experiment with? Can I just play with? So if I believe I'm old or if I believe this is too hard or I believe this is scary, I've never done this before, well, what else could I believe about this? Well, I could believe it's a new opportunity. I can, I can, this is also a new way of doing something. I'm going to also learn something. Can you see that? What, being experimenting is not just with the physical aspect of anything, but also the mindset of replacing a belief that's stopping you to something that can actually help you excel further. The fourth thing that I get from these guys is that, and they're over 50, remember, they're all over 50, 50 plus. And there's many more examples, guys, of people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, so on, is they are comfortable with getting uncomfortable. They're scared, there's no guarantees, but they're comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that shows when Ray Kroc wanted to change careers from being selling paper cups to milkshake makers at 35 and his, and his wife said to him, like, you're not 20 anymore. Like you can't do that. You're not young enough to just change careers. And he took that risk and he took the risk of his salary and his product knowledge of what he's been doing for so long. And that was getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. I believe God was preparing him for the journey of what was to come. Like just, you know, defying 
you know, and not believing in what the limitation that her, his wife was putting on him and not believing it himself, not putting it in the recesses of his mind. Well, what if I am old? What if I can't do it? What if, you know, this is not going to work out. What if I lose all the money that I have and not make any money in the milkshake makers, right? He could have had all those thoughts, but because he got comfortable with being uncomfortable and he kept doing that, it just allowed him to, when this idea came into, came past him to go and franchise McDonald's, it, it was pretty much, he had trained the brain to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And then lastly, asking the question, well, what if? What if it all falls apart? What if it does really well? What if I can actually create a difference? What if I can't? So what if is a question that is either going to take you towards what you want or what you don't want. And you've got to be very careful with the questions you're going to ask yourself because questions is like Google for your brain. When you go on the Google search, search engine, you're going to Google, how do I change a tire? How do I make um, a milkshake? How, you know, you type in Google what you want and Google's going to spit back an answer at you. Questions are the same way it happens in our brain. We say quietly into, into our minds, well, what am I going to do? What if this doesn't work out? Or what if so-and-so creates a big fuss? Like those are questions we're putting into our brain. And then our brain, like Google, a search engine, is searching for an answer and it's going to spit back the first answer it has. And if habitually you and I are thinking about, well, what if it doesn't work out? What if it's crap? What if I, oh, I, I stuffed up the other time? What if it happens? If that's the forefront of our mind, if that's what is circulating in our brain, well, that's what the brain's going to spit back out at us when we think of the situation. Well, what if it doesn't work out? What if it's not the right, right decision? Well, yeah, you're probably right. It's not the right decision. You know what I mean? Like we're having a conversation with the brain and the brain's only going to spit out what's in the forefront of the mind, which is why it's really important that we get comfortable with being uncomfortable so our brain switches uh, equaling discomfort with, uh, you know, like challenging or can't or ageism or anything like that, being ageist. Really, it's replacing all those things with things that can actually allow us to live our full potential. So the, asking the what if question, be very, very mindful of that. So the what if is not taking you astray from the goal, from the vision. Because it can do that if that's what's been playing in your mind for so, so long. Here's what the author, Tom Budler Bowden, says about the situation with Ray Kroc. Willingness to take intelligent risks is surely the crucial difference between the career of Louis Kroc and his son, Ray. So Louis Kroc was, or Louis Kroc, was Ray's father and he didn't take any risk. And his son, Ray Kroc, obviously, as we know the story, did. And so he's making a comparison here between father and son. You could argue that Lewis Kroc came of age at a time when it was enough to have a job. You didn't want to go out on your own, particularly with a family to support. But Ray also had a family and took risks anyway. One man gave into pressure from his spouse and shrunk back. The other did not. And the rest is history. So that's a really smart character well, comparison there of Ray Kroc and his father and how his father made, had the same uh, setback of his wife saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? We've got enough. This is all great. Why do you want to rock the boat? And he shrunk back. And then there was the same situation happened to his son where his wife said, what are you doing? Why are you rocking the boat? And he took that calculated risk and didn't shrink back 
move forward and the rest is history, which is just absolutely exactly what it means to unbox your gift. It's a, it's the definition of unboxing your gift to just get to the root, the fiber of what it is that moves your soul and act on that. But the author moves on to say, maybe he was lucky in some respects, referring to Ray Kroc. Maybe he was lucky in some respects, but the fact is that he acted without a safety net. And Here's, here's what I want to leave you with, guys. Follow whatever you are mesmerized by, even if to others it seems superficial or a waste of time. Because when properly, properly developed, it can bring meaning, purpose, and money into your life in degrees never imagined. Follow whatever you are mesmerized by, even if to others it seems superficial or a waste of time, because when properly developed, it can bring meaning, purpose, and money into your life in degrees never imagined. The nature of productive obsessions is that they come from nowhere. Despite often being the point on which a whole life can turn, they are a gift, a mystery, which, can, we, which we can either dismiss or use. So this book is incredible. It's amazing. I love it. Uh, if you want to go grab it, I'll mention it again. Never Too Late to Be Great, The Power of Long Thinking, uh, sorry, The Power of Thinking Long by Tom Butler, B-U-T-L-E-R-Bowden, B-O-W-D-O-N. And I'd like to end with this. Voltaire said that there was a very fine line that separates the person of genius from the ordinary man. Work he said, banishes three great evils, boredom, vice, and poverty. Buffon, the 19th century naturalist, simply said, genius is patience. And wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing, my advice to myself and to you is that life is a gift. Let's never stop to unbox it.